All right, let's go for it. Have we started? <laughs> yeah, we started. Okay. <laughs> That's as good as any. Radio. So welcome to Pat and Rod Save the World. I'm Roderick Makem. This is Patrick Brown. Hello. And, uh, and we're just going to discuss the world's problems and, uh, and possible solutions, or maybe not, um, over the course of a lazy Saturday morning. That's it, man. I can't really think of a better way to spend a Saturday morning than talking about the world's problems and trying to solve them. That was a bit of an oxymoron, that statement. <laughs> um, so to just give whoever happens to be listening to this an idea of what we'd like to do, uh, Rod and I are self-professed non-experts in the sense that we have our niches, I suppose, Rod, why don't you sort of start by saying what it is that you do? Right, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm a journalist. I, um, uh, I haven't been doing it for that long, about three years or so. Um, but, uh, yeah, so a bit of a, a background in, uh, in news media, obviously. Uh, also, um, you know, a couple of other degrees behind me and a lot of travel and a lot of different work sort of all around the world. Mm. I'm much the same, except rather than being a journalist, I'm a part-time lawyer, part-time web developer. And um, those things overlap more often than you would think. Apart from being an interested citizen, I have absolutely no expertise whatsoever on current events, but for the information gathered by a casual observer. We both uh, try and keep abreast of the news as best we can uh, and uh, feel that quite often in the stories we read, in the uh, the rush to of uh, of the news media to uh, push forward a, a, pre, a seemingly predetermined angle, uh, certain things can get missed or overlooked. That's it. I mean, what I think both Rod and I have a problem with is talking head certainty, uh, and. We think that there's a lot of scope for discussion between pragmatic, moderate people about problems. And the discussion doesn't have to necessarily be two oppositional opinions fighting it out in a death match on cable television, um, or for that matter, in the opinion columns of a newspaper. So a lot of the time, I think we're going to be coming from the perspective that we're not sure of the opinions that we have. The opinions are provisional. And there's nothing fucking wrong with that. So, uh, you know, that gives you a sense of the flavour we're looking to evoke in our discussion. And, you know, this comes basically from the fact that Rod and I are flatmates right now. We have a lot of interesting discussions. And we thought that actually they were interesting enough that other people might want to listen to them. And, you know, that's hugely presumptuous. But fuck it, we'll give it a roll. Why not? See what happens. That's it, man. That's it. Rod's got the radio voice, so take it away, man. <laughs> radio. Well, I mean, there's been uh, obviously a lot of interesting things happening in the in the world. Uh, the Middle East just continues going, lurching from one crisis to another. Lurching is the word. Um, it's uh, you know, if if international relations were movies, the Middle East would be a zombie film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, so you, you just can't you just can't kill the fucking problem it just keeps coming back again and again um, but what we need also is is there a zombie film with a, a, a heroic figure that refuses 
to, to lie down and, well, perhaps a heroic figure that avoids the problem rather than running headlong into it. Well, I mean, is there, is there a zombie movie where people just go, fuck it, let's just get away from this city and go and ha- ha- hang out on an island while the zombies just kill each other? <laughs> I would have thought that's a sensible approach. I'm looking for, I mean, it's as subtle as a sledgehammer, though. I'm looking for an analogue to America in the Middle East. <laughs> in a zombie movie film, one is not immediately presenting itself. But, uh, you know, I just think that... To, well, to... Uh, the character of America in this zombie film would be the insanely overconfident jock who charges a, uh, charges a pack of zombies and tries to bite them to death. Um, yeah, I, I agree. He, anyway, there's no question that America is the stupid jock. It's just that we, in a zombie film, the small mercy is that the jock gets killed early on mm. and isn't around to fuck with everyone else later. Um, but that, I suppose, leads me to, uh, yeah, or leads us to a discussion of what the fuck does America think it's doing getting back into the Middle East? It's it just seems to be such an obviously bad idea it it hasn't worked for the past decade why why would anyone possibly think it's it's going to have a positive outcome this time i just i just can't get my mind around it and i'm not saying that you know isis aren't terrible because they are um I'm not even saying that something shouldn't be done about it, but surely, you know, the first step of that something belongs with the Arab nations. Um, why are they not leading? Why are they not leading any charge to try and uh, sort this problem out? Well, to their to their credit, <laughs> the Syrian regime of Bashar al-Assad are doing their best at the moment. Yes. But they're not people that typically we want to give credit to, I suppose. No. Um, And I know that I'm just aware that um, we did start this off by saying we have provisional opinions. But I think it's pretty safe to say at this point that our opinion on America's stupid insistence on continuing to intervene in the Middle East, that's not a provisional opinion. That's pretty rock solid, okay? So, you know, I know we started off by saying we were going <laughs> to be a bit cautious in the way that we discussed the issues and sort of uh, weigh them up a bit. But to my mind, and I think to Rod's, it just makes no sense for them to be getting into it. Yeah. Um, it, it just seems that uh, the execution of, of two Americans, as bad as that is, has become a really powerful emotional lever to pull a country of 330 million people back into the fray. And I think it it just does not add up. I can't understand why they would want to do it. Um, I can understand why ISIS would like to bring America back into the quicksand. Uh, Agreed. I can't, yeah. And uh, yeah, um, the yeah, the execution of those uh, of those the beheadings of those men was was absolutely uh, horrifying. You mean you don't advocate beheading journalists, Rod? I do not advocate beheading journalists. I uh, I was yeah, it was it was sickening and uh, and you know in a in an ideal world those people would be uh, would be brought to justice. 
how, however, I just can't shake the feeling that the reason that those men were beheaded on film just to be distributed around the world uh, was because ISIS wanted, uh, wanted America to uh, get involved in that conflict, that theatre of conflict again, because over the past 10 years uh, with Iraq, um, Yemen, Middle East in general, all America's presence uh, there, and by uh, by America, we sing, we're singling out America, but it's, you know Australia has already put their hand up to to uh, to charge back in there again, and and uh, you know European countries as well. Uh, France, I think, uh, had some airstrikes um, in Iraq uh, today or last night. Um, France, yeah, um, that was one of the uh, one of the headlines I right. saw on the Guardian this morning. Had no idea the French were into it. Yeah. Good old colonialists that they are. Yeah. So I mean, uh, the, uh, the the reason we probably keep saying America is because it is the largest player uh, in this um, in this discussion. Um, anyway, uh, look. I mean, it seems to me that what Americans don't really understand is the nature of the people that they're dealing with, and they're they're dealing with radical Islamists who have an apocalyptic mindset. They see things through the prism of, I mean, to, to sort of analogize with Christianity, for a lot of Muslims, arguably, this is the second coming. Um, Muslims don't really believe in a second coming, but they do believe that one day the Khalifa, whoever that is, um, running a caliphate will rule the world and that... Um, the world will submit to Islam and that uh, we'll all live in a paradise thereafter. So as far as these guys are concerned, there's really no alternative but to go for broke. And going for broke means that you pull the Americans in Mm. because they are the world's superpower and frankly, these guys think that they're the only adversary that is really worthy of them. I don't think I actually finished my thought uh, before I got a bit sidetracked oh. expanding the scope between, uh, for America to the uh, sort of rest of the, the uh, allies there. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of the, the reason that they would want them involved uh, in the Middle Eastern conflict again was because over, over the last decade, all uh, American and Western military intervention in the Middle East did really was just create more Middle Eastern enemies for America and the West. I think that's pretty undeniable. Um, And there's also the fact that the Middle East itself, even without America's intervention, is going to be a seething pot of ethnic hatred, religious extremism, and repressive regimes. And there really doesn't seem to be any upside to getting involved with that. And I think I was saying to you the the other day, The Middle East is a fucking mess. It's always going to be a fucking mess. And if you do something, it's going to remain a fucking mess. If you don't do something, it's going to be a fucking mess, except that we're not going to be involved. And if I stack those things up against each other on a ledger, the we're not going to be involved bit is good enough for that to (laughs) be the right option to take. Yeah, Uh, and it's not as though... There isn't um, historical precedent in international relations for just staying the fuck out of, uh, of troublesome situations. Um, I mean, uh, the British Empire had a 
particularly British sounding policy for years of glorious isolation. <laughs> glorious isolation. I, it, like for real, that's what it was. Uh, what what, they, what the policy was called, and it was it was basically <laughs> just, you know. Stay, stay out of uh, of other people's things. Of course, they uh, they often didn't uh, stay true to that particular policy, but it was there. Um, and uh, and the uh, the Yanks, the Americans as well, had um, had a similar thing. Was it prior to World War One or prior or World War Two of just of staying out of? Um, well, they had to be talked into both. Yeah, they had to, yeah. I mean, it was both of them that they they stayed out of the Europe, the, the you know the major European conflicts of of the two world wars until they they had to. And in World War One, it was uh, was it the sinking of the uh, Lusitania, Lusitania, which yeah. um, got uh, got them involved there. Had that not happened, maybe it would. And and uh, in World War Two, it was uh, it was Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Um, so it's not as though. Uh, even in, you know, uh, the the history of sort of the last, you know, the most two recent uh, Western superpowers, uh, that they haven't had uh, policies of uh, of isolating themselves from problems, mm. and I can't see the Middle East as anything but just a a giant problem that the worst should just stay out of. Yeah. To introduce the element of doubt yeah. that we're patting ourselves on the back for earlier on for having, which hasn't appeared until now, <laughs> it is clearly in our interests. I mean, in a real politics sense, it makes a lot of a lot more sense to stay out than to go in. But I can't help but feel that there's also a humanitarian case for intervention. If you look at a situation like Syria... Um, which seems to be, to my mind, like the Lebanese civil war in the 70s, only writ large. Uh, You know, there are a lot of helpless people involved in that situation that are caught up through no fault of their own who are suffering as a result of the conflict. And there is a case to be made that the West should intervene to stop people whose fault it is not from suffering. Um... By that logic, though, obviously, there'd be many more interventions than just the Middle East. That said, I don't think that the fact that we're not doing it anywhere else necessarily mitigates against... It doesn't mitigate the moral case that, uh, you know, there's something too intervening to help. I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that, man? I can see, I, I can see the, uh, the point there, but for me it comes back to whether or not... Uh, whether or not your humanitarian goals are are achievable, um, and for that I'd um, I'd look at they are uh, achievable. Well, uh, at uh, at Iraq, for instance, I mean Hussein and his uh, psychopathic son <laughs> were doing just uh, mind-boggling, sadistic things to the populace. Um, and uh, and just purely on humanitarian grounds, you could argue that um, the uh, the second Iraq War um, and the removal of, of Saddam Hussein and the the Ba'ath Party from power uh, was in a, in and of itself a uh, a worthy goal. Uh, and in a sense, those goals were. I mean, Hussein uh, was ousted from power and put to death. Um, but just 
in being there, it created so many more problems and so many more enemies. And now you have, now you have ISIS uh, torturing, uh, torturing Kurds and beheading journalists. But uh, the, the humanitarian would say, so look, provided we take a consistent approach to intervening for humanitarian reasons, mm. It's, it's not a question of, is it accomplishable? I mean, it is a question of whether or not it's accomplishable. It's a question, is it accomplishable within the strictures of a democracy? Would a population that controls the army through a democracy bear the cost of the humanitarian intervention to the extent to make it effective? And I, that's probably not something that... Um, the American population would have the stomach for. Um, ultimately, when you look at things on the nation-state chessboard, this is a skirmish between pawns on a different part of the board that it's not our problem. Um, but I just think that it's worth making the case that there are a lot of people who suffer from these things that aren't responsible for them, and there's a case to be made, the only people who can do anything about that actually are the Western powers with their military superiority. Um, at various junctures, I've found that idea appealing. I just don't think, though, that it's practical. And if you're not willing to, to take it all the way, if you don't think you have a population that can stomach it, it's a stupid thing to begin it in the first place. So. I mean, ultimately, I suppose my intuition tells me that as nice as it would be to have an interventionist Western military that's going to intervene on the side of humanity all around the world, it would never be applied consistently. The Western populations would never have, frankly, the money nor the stomach for casualties to allow it to, to succeed. Uh, and if that's not really going to work, then fuck, don't do it. Uh, because you will just end up doing a halfies, halfway house kind of approach and you'll end up in a lot more trouble than you would have had otherwise. Um, anyway, fuck the Middle East, man. Yeah, I, it, just uh, while you were saying that, I immediately started thinking of, um, of pawns on a, on a slightly different chessboard um, being uh, Eastern Ukraine right now. And I, um, I couldn't help but think there was a, a BBC news, um, news team recently uh, who were uh, physically assaulted um, while um, trying to report on Russian troops in, in eastern Ukraine. And I couldn't help but think what would have happened uh, had they been killed, um, had, you know, if one of them was, uh, if one of them was shot. Uh, you know, um, we've seen what happened when uh, when journalists were um, were murdered by uh, by ISIS. If there's uh, if we're talking about the um, the conflict in eastern Ukraine, if a Western journalist is killed by pro-Russian forces or Russian forces who are there, um, would there be this? Would there be a similar rush from the West to um, to start? Uh, putting troops on the ground or military advisors who can fire back whatever the, the definition the, uh, the American forces are giving on this one. I hugely um, doubt it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think the, um, 
Uh, and you know, obviously, because it's it's Russia on the other side, and they have that's it, man. They have a massive army and uh, and a stockpile of nu- nuclear weapons, and um, so it's just not as easy to beat your chest um, as it is when you're dealing with a few crazy Arabs running around the desert, being um, extreme assholes. Well, let's be honest, turning those guys into like desert glass. There's a certain what's the word um, oh I'm not gonna when uh, there's a certain satisfaction about how easy that is to accomplish well I mean that's it's it was my first thought of what I wanted to happen when uh, when those guys were beheaded I just wanted them to just bombs away turn that uh, turn that bit of uh, bit of desert into glass um, uh, getting back to um, back to Ukraine and Russia for the moment though something I saw that uh, that caught my interest this morning and I I thought you would probably be uh, be pretty interested in it as well, Pat. Mm. Was um, a headline about uh, Putin considering a plan to uh, basically unplug Russia from the the global internet? Where did you see that, by the way? Uh, what what newspaper? That's uh, that's on the Guardian. Okay. Um, uh, so I don't. Um, I What's don't, what would his objective be there? Basically, just to have um, complete control. <laughs> I mean, they already have uh, more or less control over the traditional forms of media. <clears throat> um, it's. Uh, I wonder if the Russian. Po- I mean, the Russian population are silly to support them, to support this guy to the extent that they are. But I'm not sure they'd be silly enough to to deal with a Putin net. You mm. know, like I can't see that. The American population, sorry, the Russian population would be all right with that. Yeah, but because um, it's a pure limitation, they, they don't gain anything but limitation. And you know, generally speaking, people don't like being told what to do. Um, I um I can see I can see Putin doing it though. Um, we've uh, I can see him doing it. Do you think it would stand though? Do you think he'd get away with it? I think he probably would. Every uh, everything I see about Vladimir Putin in the news, for my for my own personal lens on this, goes back to uh, uh, when when was the Kursk uh, Kursk disaster? Oh, that was good question, man. Um, it was was it uh, two thousand or ninety nine or something like that? And I, you know, I we were. Uh, both teenagers then, mm. and um, and for most of my my teen years, I, I didn't really get the Russia as a as a supervillain angle. When I when I saw the old Bond movies, I was like, "What are they talking about?" Because my my experience of Russia was um, Boris Yeltsin and Bill Clinton being best buddies kind of thing. Yeah, um, and it was uh, there was this bit of footage. Two thousand, by the 2000. way. Two yeah. thousand. Um, uh, there was this. There was this bit of footage where uh, people were protesting about the Kursk disaster, and there was one of the. There was a lady there. I think she was the mother of. Um, she was. Of, yeah. uh, of one of the. Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for for anyone listening who doesn't, uh, who, who who never saw this or who may have uh, forgotten it, there was this footage, and she's, um, you know, in, distraught. She's shouting out protests. Um, and uh, and in the in the midst of this big crowd, uh, a couple of people come up to her, and one of them puts her arms over her shoulders, and suddenly she seemingly like collapses. Uh, apparently, just the emotion has got too much for her, and these two people lead her away. What the footage actually showed was 
the person putting arm around her shoulders stuck a syringe full of god knows what straight into her neck, knocked her out cold, and she was driven away, dragged away. And I remember thinking as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, that's what everyone meant when they were, when, you know, they were, they were scared. This is, this is Putin's Russia. And every sort of thing I've seen from there, mm. uh, whenever I see the, word, the words Vladimir Putin in relation to, uh, to a news story, is viewed through that lens for me. He's, he is as ruthless a leader as, uh, as you can imagine on his own people, let alone anyone else. That was actually, um, it's funny that you mentioned that. And I think that the reason a, perhaps it stuck with both of us, I think we might have discussed it at the time, actually. Yeah. Because, um, you know, full disclosure, Rod and I were in uh, high school together and we roomed at that time, I think. So the year 2000, so 2001 is our last year. So 2000 would have been year 11. We we would have been, yeah. And I I think for both of us, the fact that Putin was in the room, that this was a distraught parent who was, she was uh, emotionally animated, but she wasn't out of line. She was just having her say and at the moment that these thugs stuck a syringe in her neck I think for me and I'm not surprised that it was the same for you that was a realization moment yeah it was it was a real shift in my in my understanding of the world like I didn't think until that point that that sort of thing actually happened outside of movies. Yeah, that was uh, it, right? It was it was a kind of a, a snapshot from an, from the cinema. Like, it was just insane. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, bringing that back to, to what's happening today, I can totally see uh, Putin just <laughs> unplugging Russians from the net, uh, bringing the uh, .ru domain completely under, under state control. Um, and I can see him doing whatever he, uh, whatever he thinks he needs to... To, uh, to enforce it. You know what, though? On one view of it, let me just take a kind of a jingoistic parochial approach to this. Go Fuck right them. Yeah. <laughs> what do we care? I mean, so far as most of us are concerned, the only contribution that Russia makes to the internet for our purposes, obviously because we don't speak Russian, <laughs> is a bunch of cyber criminals. <laughs> I don't, and the Putin bots uh, um, making comments on, under the line on news articles. Oh, is that a thing? No, I've actually, that's actually a thing. <laughs> I, I get a lot of uh, a lot a lot of enjoyment out of it, which I'm not sure that says about me. But when I'm reading articles um, about the, like I've read a lot of articles about the Ukraine this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, and reading the the ones under the line, you can almost you can almost pick them out after a while. Like who's the Putin bot? <laughs> that that's actually quite interesting. And when you say Putin bot, do you think they're actually using software, or are they just no, getting no. people? I, th- I think it's just getting people. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, this is something though that a lot of nation states are doing. The Israelis um, have uh, been very public about uh, encouraging their citizenry to argue on behalf of the state of Israel and what it chooses to do in comment sections on newspapers makes a lot of sense uh ultimately if i was in their position and i had an agenda to pursue um i would do the same yeah just um a sort of slight disagreement from uh from me on your, your last point on you know what do we care yeah i i think uh the 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 shall we say aggressive foreign policy of uh, of russia at the moment 
is and uh, and should be a um, a big concern for the rest of the world. No question. Um, no question. It's the scariest thing going on in the world, bar none. And I'm talking including Ebola. I would prefer for a... Depends if Ebola becomes airborne. If that happens... Would I'm you prefer myself. a nuclear war in Eastern Europe or Ebola going airborne? That's actually a really interesting question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would probably say from a purely selfish... Um, uh, viewpoint that um, a nuclear war in uh, Eastern Europe probably has less chance of killing me than Ebola getting airborne. Um, that you know, that's true. That's true. We are. I mean, we should probably note this to anyone who's bothering to listen to us. We're both in Australia. Um, so it has its advantages living on a giant island. It's also a continent. We are a long way away from... We're basically quarantined by geography. We are, and that's a real luxury in some circumstances. Um, uh, I suppose from humanity's perspective, shit, that's a hard one. You'd really have to sketch out the scope of each problem. I mean, yeah. airborne Ebola throughout the international transportation system versus a nuclear exchange in Eastern Europe. And the and scope for that to expand and that's take it, yeah. in the rest of the world. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be a satisfying line of intellectual exercise. <laughs> Let's, I mean, uh, fuck segues, man. Let's talk Scotland. Yeah, yeah. I um, have absolutely no dog in this fight. I um, uh, obviously Australian, no Scottish, uh, no Scottish background in my family, as far as I'm aware. But um, but took a took a, a bit of an interest in it, just in that I um, I'm always interested in uh, in people looking for independence anywhere in the world. Um, I think. Uh, as a matter of principle, I mean... Yeah, I, 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 I um, more or less as a matter of principle, I, I like the idea of, of self-determination um, for both individuals and, uh, and collectives. Um, hmm. I, generally speaking, I don't have a well-defined boundary for that principle. I'm not going to say that it applies to every situation, but for the most part, I'm on the side of the people who don't want to submit to the central authority. <laughs> Just as a general rule... Yeah. The people who get together and go, you know what, we really want to do things a bit differently to the way that this central authority is telling us to do it. I'm, I tend to be in favour of those people. Yeah. And like I, I'm not completely or even at all um, over, the, uh, over the various issues for and against uh, independence in Scotland, a, a vague uh, understanding that um, North Sea oil has a lot to do with it. Um, yeah, there's the North Sea, uh, sea oil issue. There's um, the economic issues are really the ones that get complicated. And to be honest, I've read a little bit about it. And the arguments that are made for both sides could be completely right, completely wrong. I wouldn't know. Um, economics is called the dismal science for a good reason. You never fucking know which thing is plausible. Until I've never heard that phrase, but I like it. Oh, dude. It really sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, economics is just a depressingly difficult thing to come to terms with because it's so important and people 
who are making the arguments tend to have an agenda and it's very hard to know who's being practical and who's not from the layman's perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, all I could really say, if I was being forced to uh, to give my opinion on Scottish independence, I would have liked, I'd, I'd have to just say, look, I would have liked to have seen the yes vote. I don't really have uh, a vast bank of, uh, of arguments why that's the case. Um, I... Uh, just personal preference, really. I, I don't like the. Um, I, I don't like a lot of the people who were uh, advocating the uh, the no vote. Um, the ver- yeah, the, but ultimately, uh, when you've got China, the various David Cameron, <laughs> the Spanish government, you got all these people lined up. Oh, uh, the 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 right wing uh, English tabloids. Yeah, right. Uh, Not to but, mention, I think the Russians also <laughs> put their bib in. Um, and uh, look, man, Tony I've, Abbott, Tony t- Abbott wanted, uh, he talked about, uh, people, uh, people who wanted the, uh, the yes vote, not being the, uh, the friends of freedom or something like that. Um, right. Yeah. Just for those of you listening in other countries, it gives me great joy to say you probably don't know who Tony Abbott is. That's <laughs> your good fortune. You can, uh, if you feel like it, um, John Oliver from last week tonight has uh, has a very entertaining Tony Abbott segment. You can YouTube it. Uh, it'll tell you all you need to know. Yeah, apart from the fact that, at least for the purposes of this discussion, Tony Abbott is the Prime Minister of Australia. Um, and, you know, Rod and I are both pretty non-partisan guys. We dislike the other party just as much as we do Tony's. Yeah. But um, there's something about Tony that's just so hateable. Uh Let's not get stuck in that, though, because I still think there are some other interesting points to be made about the Scottish thing. Yep. I find myself on the same side of it as you, in the sense that, you know, I basically have an intuitive bias towards people who are trying to do their own thing. And I think one of the best examples of that, and the one that just warms my heart, <laughs> is Switzerland. Switzerland are a bunch of people from very different cultures living on the edge of giant centralized nation states who at a certain point said, you know what, we just want to do our own thing. And there are those people over there. The only thing we have in common with them is that they want to do their own thing as well. And we're just going to like get together and be a bunch of people who do our own thing and everyone else can go fuck themselves. (laughs) And I just think that that's the greatest foundational story of a country that I've ever heard of. If a nation state is a good way to run things, and I'm by no means convinced that it is, the idea of a nation state founded on let's just do us (laughs) is the way to go. I really wish that um, that was something that had happened in more parts of the world. In fact, you could actually argue to sort of do a callback of sorts that it would be a spectacular fucking way to run the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> Federalised? I mean, but this is it. Ultimately, the bloody... The Iraqis... The, the West has this idea of Iraq being easier to control if you knit it together. I just can't see that it's possible. But, you know, not to go back to that. So, Switzerland... I, I love the people from there. I have a bit of a crush on the country. Um, I like the fact that they have... Or at least until... Recently, they had secretive banking laws that allowed people to avoid taxes. I'm a big fan of that too. Uh, And I just like 
their approach to governance, which is direct democracy and let's have a bunch of independent cantons that run their own shit, will be a little laboratory for democracy. And um, they seem to have done pretty bloody well out of it. And I think that more people could adopt that approach to great effect. And to the extent that Scotland could have been an experiment in that, I would have supported it. Um, you know, not that that matters a jot, but um, it's a disappointing thing to me that uh, the Scots didn't vote for independence because I think that there's also the angle of just the elites. And I know that that's a nebulous term, but the elites are really fucking everybody off right now. Yeah. I um, Actually, when you say that, it, it reminded me of, uh, of another point um, you made in a, in a conversation we had a while ago. And I think it was a really interesting idea, was um, just how out of touch and removed the elites are in uh, in Western civilization today and has there been a time in history where they have been more removed from how the world is actually working? Oh, I think, um, how, I think the, so. how, how much they have missed the boat on the technological revolution. Yeah, I, I think just to, to like sort of sketch that out, idea out a bit more. I was talking in the context of technology for the most part, because I think if you compare the, uh, the ancient regime of, of uh, pre-French Revolution France, um, Marie Antoinette was obviously more out of touch with reality than our current Western elites are. But I think she would have had a better understanding of, of how the world operated than many of the people running the show right now do, in the sense that, and, and I put that down to technology and communication, uh, I think that the elites, particularly a few years ago, were more out of touch with the way that the world worked than at any time in the past. They seem to be coming to grips with it, and the fact that you've got Putin bots running around is an indicator of that. And Well, you have China, uh, you know, China already has sort of control over their, their own nation's internet, Russia are talking about it. In the West, you've got, um, you know, metadata and um, they're talking about the end of net neutrality. So it's, it's like having, having missed the boat on the technological revolution and the just huge uh, spread of information that was suddenly available to anyone with a connection. Uh, governments are now finally going, okay, how do we get this back under our control? Yeah, I, f I feel that pull also. It just feels like the, the governments are coming from a lot of different angles to try and assert dominance over the electronic means of communication that we have. Um, and there are different kinds of dominance. Ultimately, you can still put up virtually whatever you like. So there's not really a restriction in the freedom to put things on there so much as there is the more insidious restriction of self-censorship because you know that you're being watched. Um, they're, they're different in nature and quality. But, I mean, my view is, is that I'm not going to be absolutely terrified until the government stops people putting things up. Um, while we're able to continue to do what we like, 
at the cost of being watched, I find that a super unattractive scenario and it's something that worries me deeply. But I think ultimately, if you're able to put out the ideas, that's the most important thing. Um, I'm kind of, truth be told, you know, at the risk again of undermining this idea of provisional opinion, for the most part, I'd go so far as to call myself a free speech fundamentalist. I really think that the burden on someone who tries to stop anyone else from saying something should be enormous. Um, and there should be very few exceptions to the rule that you're able to say whatever the fuck you want, whenever the fuck you want it, to whoever the fuck you want. And I use the word fuck to emphasise each of those elements. How do you stand on the shouting fire in a crowded theatre? What, like, what is your point of limiting free speech? I, I don't think I've ever actually asked you that. Yeah, yeah. Um, shouting fire in a, in a, in a theatre... Um, I mean, it's a good example because I think it's a pretty clear over-the-line example. Uh, and there's value to thought experiments like that. Um, but uh, I have not thought it through enough. Or I have thought it through but had extreme difficulty in trying to derive a principle about what you should be able to express and what you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, do you have any ideas on no, where, where I... the boundary should be? I, um, I think, and I think this about most things in life really, that um, every, every instance where possible should just be looked at on a, on a case-by-case basis and judged on its, on its own merits. And that's, uh, I think that's the same for, um, for questions of, of, free, of, uh, of free speech. For, um, here's, here's... Context, I think, is something that's very important that um, gets overlooked in most uh, most conversations about most things in the world. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And but here's an avenue of inquiry that might be illuminating. When I think so, you, when you think about the instance of a crowded theatre and someone yelling fire, yeah. there's a clear negative outcome to that in the sense that you have a huge risk of stampede where people could be physically injured. Yeah. But if we isolate this to the context of the internet, I have difficulty thinking of anything that people should be prevented from posting on the internet. It's very hard to imagine things that could cause physical injury to someone merely by dint of having been posted on the internet. I'm sure you'll come up with examples. Yeah, but straight away I start. I mean, it, it, I don't think it was more like text messages and things like that than the internet. But the Cronulla riots, uh, going back a few years now. Yeah, um, sure. Which uh, was um, basically some some uh, race related uh, riots in um, uh, this, uh, some suburbs in Sydney. Uh, going back a few years now, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly when it was. 2005. I remember that because I was coming back from the Middle East and was surrounded by a lot of very wigged out Arabs yeah. who were um, coming to Australia and worried about their safety because of what they were seeing on the news. So yeah. I have a very distinctive memory of it. Um, and so I, I think, um, uh, you know, if... Uh, something similar like that happened today 
it'd be social media where people would be whipping people up and saying, come here, meet up here, more so than, uh, than people calling each other on their mobiles. Um, I can see... Um, so what you see... Uh, I, I, and um, uh, was, it, was it Alan Jones or one of the, uh, one of the shock jocks, um, you know, got in trouble for basically uh, whipping people into a fervour on his radio show? And I think if um, if people are doing that on uh, on social media or online, um, then that is in effect uh, shouting fire in a crowded theatre on a um, on a in an online sense. Yeah, I I think there's a distinction to be made between expression and calling for the commission of a crime or using communications to carry out a crime. Yeah, okay. I think, put it this way, if you're using communication to carry out a crime in the physical realm, so to speak, then, I mean, we would agree, wouldn't we, that that's already covered by criminal statute. So if you're calling for people to riot and they riot... Yeah, doesn't well, matter what uh, platform you do that in, it's... But you, you also have the, the criminal law against the destruction of property and violence against other people to cover the eventuality of the speech. So you're saying it wouldn't be so much a free speech issue as just a basic... You're, just, just, you're committing a crime. You've committed a crime. And frankly, if, if no one does riot, then it's not pleasant free speech. It's not pleasant speech, but... I can't see that there's anything wrong with the wingnut who's out there advocating violence. Um, I mean, I'd go so far as to say, like, um, even in a situation where you're, I don't know, calling for violence is a difficult one. I think it'd have to be a very explicit call for violence for me to be okay okay with suppressing that speech. If it were something that could be interpreted as a call to violence by violent people, but to the casual observer it's not necessarily a call to violence, I'd say leave it up. Uh, it has to, I, I suppose I would say if you're calling people to do violence against others, that should be suppressed. But the level of um, Explicitness, if that's even a word. What's what's a better word here? Oh, yeah, I'm not sure explicitness is a word. No, it's um, not a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I'll just use it. Fuck it. If I invented <laughs> a new word, we'll run with it. Like, the level of explicitness would have to be very high for me to want to suppress it. Like, you would have to literally say, hey, uh, let's all meet at the corner of George and Bathurst and break a shop window because of those damn Arabs running the store. Like, you know, I think that that would obviously be something you'd want to suppress. But whether or not... A phone call calling for a um, random Australian to be beheaded in in a Sydney this week. Hang on, you had a phone call? No, no, it was the... The, uh, oh, the homegrown terrorism scare. Oh, that thing, yeah, right. Um, Just put people in the picture, man, because this is one of those little, uh, you know, our corner of the world things. 
not to labour you all with our corner of the world, but it did get a fair amount of international press, so it's probably worth elucidating on. Yeah, so um, uh, earlier this week, um, there were a series of arrests across um, Sydney and Brisbane, two of Australia's major cities, um, big police operation. I think about 800 cops in both cities raided 15 or 16 uh, people, and um, there are a couple of arrests. And uh, and it came uh, it came down to um, basically a, a connection between some uh, Muslims in Australia uh, back to ISIS in the Middle East, um, and uh, allegedly there had been a a call for uh, some of these people in Australia to basically just kidnap someone in the middle of the the middle of the city, uh, behead them, on, uh, film it, and put it on social media. Um, and um, so I think it was a phone call rather than on social media but I was just wondering for you know in Pat's scenario had that been a a message on a on an online notice board would that have been a explicit enough specific enough threat yes in my in, in that instance I think that's an explicit enough threat the level of explicitness is high enough. Um, whether or not there should, like, should you though make it illegal for a religious extremists to write on Facebook that um, we should be beheading kuffar, uh, the unbelievers? No, I don't think so. I think you let that idiot convict himself in the court of public opinion by dint of the stupid shit he's saying. Uh, but when it starts getting specific, like we should behead Kufar in Hyde Park this evening, yeah, yeah. level of explicitness. I, I guess the interesting thing there is, well, we should behead people in Hyde Park. Um, you know, if you take away the explicitness of this evening, arguably that's just a really inflammatory, shitty, stupid thing to say rather than uh, an explicit call to the commission of a crime. Uh, I mean, where do you where do you fall on that? Do you think that that should be suppressed? Behead Kufar. I say, let that fuckwit say what he wants. What would you want that to be a crime? Saying that? No, I don't think so. I think uh, I think there has. To, I think another thing that has to be considered in it is uh, again context. Is is the person making this call in any uh, in any position to actually? act on what they're they are saying surely that has has a lot to do with whether or not it could be considered a call to commit a crime or just someone saying something inflammatory because i think that from what you've been saying is is roughly where you draw the line between just a stupid inflammatory statement which should be allowed under free speech and a crime which should be acted upon is um yeah, uh, yeah. Is the like is the is the is the likelihood of it, uh, you know, uh, likelihood or intent of it being acted on? That's not a bad line to draw. Um, I mean, I suppose you've got to ask the question. Like, so you likelihood is an important point. Let's um, like, would you say likelihood or intent was or just both of them? No, I think likelihood is a very important element. Yeah. So I don't care if a Muslim dude is um, extreme in his views and said we should um, we should bring the wrath of God 
on the Kufar with a nuclear weapon at Hyde Park at 9pm tonight. Because there's zero probability of that dickhead getting hold of a <laughs> nuclear weapon. So the probability does feed into it. I mean, I don't care if a dude sounds off like that on social media because there's fuck all chance of it happening. Where he starts talking about things that are accomplishable, though, um, and the probability is sort of much, much higher that someone could actually carry it out, then, yeah, there's a real problem there. But um, I suppose this gives anyone who's bothering to listen uh, uh, a sense of, you know, just how uh, serious I am about people being able to say what they like. Um, I like to hear unpopular views. I'm super interested in them because I always wonder about like, who's the holy madman that has the truth? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which fucking crazy person that we all look askance at right now and go, geez, dudes off with the fairies. Like which of them is actually right? Because it's people like that that are proven right after uh, time elapses and and when you say people like that i assume you're meaning one in every thousand people like definitely definitely but there are diamonds in the rough and i mean the old adage is that a clock is broken twice a day and they might a broken clock is right twice a day thank you And these people might not be right because they're deep thinkers. They might just happen to be right because they're crazy rather than, you know, us thinking they're crazy and yeah, you, you follow my gist. Um, I, I do wonder who we think is crazy that is right because the law of averages says that there's a few. <laughs> there's a few. And I'm fascinated by that because these people, you know, I'm sure some of them are right because they are actually fucking smart. So your argument is that every restriction on free speech lessens the uh, the likelihood that your diamond in the rough, crazy but right person yeah. actually... That's one reason. But, I mean, I'd say it's subordinate to the simple reason that I think once people stop telling each other the truth and stop having freedom of expression... Um, people in power who will always abuse their power, at least in my opinion, I think there's a fair amount of history to bear me out on that, um, are empowered. I think people in power are typically the ones afraid of free speech. If you don't have power, are you really worried about free speech? No. I don't think so. No. And, you know, man, people can be into whatever the fuck they want to be into. Like, if you enjoy sort of weird porn good luck to you enjoy your weird porn right like and i've got no worries with that like if you dig the sort of bizarre um i'm trying to think of an example none immediately springs to mind but if you're if you're into weird and wonderful things that the overwhelming majority of people find completely disgraceful, disgusting, respectable society would never embrace it. There's no way that you're ever going to be anything but on the fringes. I mean, good luck. I've got no worries with that. Provided it's not um, actually causing harm to... Yeah, and again, that's it, man. We come back to, like, commission of a crime, basically. Yeah. 
Like, as long as you're not hurting other people, and I think we're both on the same page here. And I think that our generation generally, just to let you guys know, I think I'm 31, you're 31, yeah, right? So we're Generation Y. Um, I think Generation Y is, is pretty down with this idea that provided you're not hurting someone else, uh, go with God, have fun. Yeah. Get your freak on. <laughs> are we generate? Is there a difference between Gen Ys and are millennials? Mate, I have not. Yeah, I have uh, not nailed that one down. Yet. No, I know we're not Gen X. No, Gen definitely not. No, we're we're actually uh, three or four years behind the end of Gen X, I believe. Yeah. So we're pretty early Y. Yeah. Whether or not we're millennials, though, I think the terms no, are used by not some millennials. But sometimes they seem to be used interchangeably. These terms. Yeah, that's what makes me think. Because when I think millennials are people who are. Uh, you know, in their late teens, early 20s now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's the impression I get too. Yeah. I mean, I think sort of it's it's used, I think it's used interchangeably in the sense that it's used for younger generation Y people who sort of are blurring between what I would understand to be generation Y and the millennials. Uh, otherwise known as digital natives. Um, I think generation Y... We're generally considered digital yeah. natives, but to an, I mean, it's hard to compare where we're at with where a kid who grows up with an iPad is yeah. at. Like, I mean, that's a different level. So, yeah. as in, we didn't have social media at school. No, we that, did. That's a massive difference. No, I remember people were obsessed with chat <laughs> at school. I remember people whiling away the hours when they should have been studying, mm. having meaningless discussions with multiple people on chat. The, you know, the first uh, the first people with their, their mobile phones were mocked. Um, phone pins. Were they? Uh, Fuck, I don't, don't remember you, that. Don't you remember phone pins? No, I don't remember <laughs> that at all. But, I mean, mobile phones weren't a big, a big deal. Maybe that was before I arrived. No, it was uh, it was in the last few years at uh, at school there. Okay, um, I'll take your word for it, man. You'd, you'd see someone uh, talking or texting, on, yeah. and you'd and you'd shout out abuse at him. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, it's it's basically analogous to the glass holes phenomenon. Uh, and you know, honestly, I, I hate that. I've just got to say, maybe uh, maybe it's my luddite tendencies, but I cannot stand the idea of Google Glass. Everything about it just makes my skin crawl. I don't like the idea that people can film me at any time uh, or take photos, but I do like the idea of having a screen on my field of vision. I'll just come out and say it. I mean, I'm down with that idea. Like, I think that that would help me in day-to-day life. Uh, See, I just think it... I, I, don't, I can't even concede on that. I, uh, I, I, I'd hate the idea of having a screen in front of my eye. But it's not as if you don't have control over this screen. I mean, notifications-wise, I have fuck all in the way of notifications that actually show up on my phone. I'm, you know, I use a bunch of services and uh, I keep them quiet until I want to approach them. And I think a lot of people just don't know how to switch off notifications. And they feel harassed by these technologies that are supposed to serve them. And it makes no sense. Like, all you need to do is go to the settings and switch off notifications. Yes, it's fucking annoying that the default is notification. But you do ultimately have control over that. Switch off your notifications, people. Fuck. (laughs) It'll make things easier for you. And when you are able to approach these things at a time and place of your choosing, you'll feel much more comfortable in your life. No, uh, sorry, no provisional opinion on this one for me. 
I don't care. I'm not going to be convinced otherwise. Fuck Google Glass. Can I just say this has been less provisional than I expected? <laughs> no, we, we've actually we've actually been pretty concrete in our beliefs here. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about big issues though. I mean, there's a there's been a reasonable amount of uh, doubt about some things, but I mean, if we're to work from the bedrock principles. It's probably not a good idea for him. It's almost certainly not a good idea for America to get involved in the Middle East. Yeah. It's um, almost certainly a worry for uh, for the world that Russia just is eyeing off Eastern Europe in massive chunks. Yeah, um, um, the freedom of speech is a good thing. <laughs> I mean, these are essentially motherhood arguments. Okay, so I'm going to cling to the idea that we're still reasonable, pragmatic people <laughs> who have provisional opinions on many things. But there are certain... <laughs> we certainly did move away from our opening <laughs> opening gambit of everything is uh But this is how these things are supposed to work, Rod. <laughs> we're supposed to evolve and we're supposed to be okay with that. So, you know, if this ends up being a far more opinionated podcast and we end up becoming the people that I shat on earlier on. <laughs> uh, that's sort of the hypocrisy that I'm self aware enough to admit. But I'll be okay with it. But I'm going to cling to the idea that I don't think that that's going to happen over the long term because we've had a bunch of discussions where we've gone, you know, on this hand, on the other hand, and there's this other thing. And, you know, that tends to me to be uh, a feature of our discussions. And I'm hoping that... um, Will be a feature of these. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. So, shall we? Uh, how are we going for time? Should we wrap this one up? Yeah, man, I don't mind. So we're uh, uh, an hour and one minute oh, and fifteen seconds in, and uh, there's no reason why we shouldn't wrap it up. I think it's been a pretty interesting um, discussion. I think, yeah, I think um, we've covered a lot of ground for a, for a, basically a test run. <laughs> I think it's gone okay. Yeah, it's interested us. I think. Now, whether or not it interests other people is open to question. So, you know, to the extent that you guys are um, interested, send us something to tell us that you are. Um, We're super open to hearing about what you don't like. We're virtually impossible to offend. So, you know, I'm not inviting trolling. I'm inviting bluntness. Um, So to the extent that you've got any feedback... Um, let us know. And you can let us know on the following email address. Mail at patandrodsavetheworld.com It's a humble title. (laughs) And I'll admit full responsibility for it. But Rod did give it the stamp of approval. So he's partially responsible. So let me just... um, Amidst my evasions of responsibility, uh, or at least full responsibility, let me repeat the email address. It's mail at patandrodsavetheworld.com. I think I'm going to enjoy saying that each time. <laughs> You're already enjoying it. You've got a smug smile. I do have a smug smile on my face. And I'll also be open with whoever's bothering to listen that um, the the Pat Brown smug smile is it's a, a, oh, it's, it's it's a phenomenon. As, it's as smug a smile as you could ever wish to see. 
<laughs> I, I am in full agreement with that. And it's gotten me into trouble many times in my life. But I can't seem to suppress it. And you know what? In, in line with my views of freedom of speech, I think there should also be freedom of facial expression. Is there a problem with that? There's not. There's no problem with that. All right. Okay. So on that note, I think we've basically like, uh, if you guys want to like just um, switch it off now, hmm. go ahead. But I don't see, I mean, do you want to reflect at all about like how the conversation went? No, I think we're okay. I you, just had a thought. Though. You don't want to do a meta discussion at this point? Oh, we could do. I just had, like, I had a thought out of nowhere yeah, that right. I think the British policy was splendid isolation, not glorious isolation. Anyway. <laughs> but you know what, man? If I could go back in time yeah. and suggest glorious isolation to them, I think they would have... I think it's a better word, a better one than splendid isolation. They would have taken it up, probably. <laughs> um, because glorious isolation, certainly from the perspective of someone promoting the policy, has a ring to it that splendid doesn't. Mm. Um, so, I mean, this is, I'm just going to like, you guys feel free to switch it off if anyone's bothering to listen. Um, but this is an interesting question. If we're going to have, we're probably going to have a meta discussion about this after we switch off the microphone. Is there an inherent problem with having the meta discussion on the microphone? No. Okay. Um, what, so guys, it's going to get meta. Okay, so if you're not interested, fine. Um, but we're going to have the discussion that we would have had had we switched off the microphone now with it on. So, uh, you know, feel free to fuck off or feel free to stick around. Um, what do you think, man? How did you go? Uh, I thought for a trial run it went uh, went pretty well. It, um, it probably wouldn't hurt uh, for future ones to, to maybe have some preparation. Um, was it a preparation? Though? Just like, in terms of maybe just having a couple of um, a couple of points, like okay, in general, this will be our starting point for this week, and then let it just go wherever it may. Um, starting point, I think. Starting point is a good idea. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think we need to have it scripted out at all. No, um, I, I wouldn't I want to prescribe. I, I think that's very limiting. But I think having having a starting point with a couple of ideas around that starting point. Um, would probably help kick things off a bit better. Yeah, I, I agree. A starting point is a good thing to have. Um, I think we should have a general nebulous idea about what we want to actually talk about. That said, um, the order even, I don't think there should be any prescribed order. I think we should just like talk from one issue to the other when it feels like it's the right time to make the transition. Yeah. And I actually think that in terms of time, we treated a bunch of different things in a fairly even-handed way. Like... I don't feel like there was a huge emphasis on one thing or another. Perhaps there was a bit too much on the Middle East. Yeah, but I mean, it was our it was sort of our starting point. For it was the opening yeah. gambit. Um, you know, I think it's important not to get too stuck on an issue. Um, I don't feel like we were the victim of that too much this time. But um, in terms of how to improve it definitely a start point is a good idea um uh can you think of anything else um it might have just been the topics we covered or the fact that generally we we tend to agree on things yeah we um, did didn't we we fucking agreed it was sickening the amount we agreed we, i um uh but we i mean we tend to do that anyway we don't often have have major disagreements um and i think it would be contrary to uh 
to everything we talk about in setting this up to manufacture disagreements no. um, for the for the purpose of making a more interesting sounding uh, podcast. Yeah, but you know what uh, though? I do think that people are sick of listening to disagreement. Yeah, and I mean you you referenced that at the start. Yeah. People. Everything you see on uh, on TV or listen to on radios is all about looking for for conflict and and playing up disagreements between people. Yeah, I think uh, what's interesting about our discussions, to me at least, is that we're often reaching the same conclusion from different yeah from different directions, yeah. and that's inherently interesting, and gives me faith in the idea that there's perhaps a bit more subjective truth than I otherwise would have thought. In the sense that I respect your opinion. And if we are reaching the same opinion via a different route, then that seems to add to the validity of the opinion. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's basically uh, an additional supporting argument of an endpoint. Um, yeah. That, yeah. I know. mean, it's 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 not as great a metaphysical phenomenon as perhaps I'm making it sound. They're just different arguments for the same proposition. Um, and I was also surprised to, to continue the matter. Like, I was also surprised that we were as sure of ourselves about the issues that we were talking about as we were. Yeah. Like, there's a bit of sort of, on the other hand, with the Arab stuff in terms of, like, humanitarian intervention. And I do think there's... I, don't, well, I mean, we weren't at all um, uh, prescriptive about the Scotland thing, I don't think. We were, we were... No, not really. It well, I mean, we out. both had our, our, our opinions on it, but we, we both were upfront that we have very little knowledge about the issues of it yeah. and um, our, our opinions are strictly our own and in no way, shape or form the correct ones, really. I got the sense that um, perhaps I care about that one a bit more than you do. I, I have an interest in it, but um, only in that I, I like seeing people choose self-determination where they can. Um, yeah, self-determination is such a hard fucking thing to define. Yeah. It's practical. I mean, it's something about international law where the terms used are so hard to define. I mean, terrorism. Like, I wrote an essay on that in university trying yeah. to define terrorism. I mean, the guy who lectured me at university in international law, a guy called Ben Saul, a very smart cookie. If you Google news search him, you'll get a lot of his stuff. Um I don't agree with him on everything, but, you know, his career objective was to try to define terrorism. Like, that was his whole fucking thing. <laughs> and it did take a career. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I actually put the argument that it was to define terrorism is basically to use the Kantian moral axiom that you should never use an individual for a means without their consent. And when you're conducting a terrorist attack, you're essentially using someone's injury or death to make a political point. And you're using their injury or death as a tool without their consent. That was my argument. That's a pretty good definition. It and felt it, it, consistent. It's, it's, a, it's a very broad one because it would be open to... Uh, it would be open to be applied to all sorts of um, all sorts of actions that are not necessarily traditionally thought of as uh, as terrorist uh, yeah, attacks. It, it, yeah. What it also does is it seems to work around the issue of collateral damage. Not that I think collateral damage should be excused, but clearly uh, collateral damage is not necessarily terrorism. 
and I actually think that to the extent that there's unintentional casualties, um, that uh, that collateral damage is not terrorism. My um, my problem with uh, collateral damage, and um, uh, and I, I do have uh, quite a big problem with it, is is that idea of unintentional. If you're uh, I mean, and sometimes it is just unintentional, but a lot of times when I hear people talking about collateral damage in, you know, the, the bombing of a, uh, of a bunch of, pe- of militants who happen to be next to a school or something, yeah. is that you can't say it's unintentional if you know there's going to be the uh, civilian victims and you do it anyway. But would, you wouldn't call it terrorism. At least yeah. common parlance would not use the word terrorism. You'd no, call yeah. it gratuitous violence you'd call it unacceptable you know we're kind of we're getting out of meta now usually people are trying to steer away from meta but let's try and steer back into meta <laughs> um that's probably an interesting actually yeah that might topic be for maybe, maybe a different uh maybe a different podcast that uh topic of collateral Dude, damage. yeah it's it's yeah. bound to come up yeah. i mean the americans are going to continue to blow people up while they're you know killing terrorists um so uh, I don't really think there's much more to say on a meta level about like that that podcast, and you know, it's yeah. been about ten minutes talking about it now, so that feels like a reasonable amount of time to talk over. I think we're good. Yeah, I tell you what, I do want. I want a faster fucking iPad <laughs> so I can look shit up more easily. And actually, I think the iPad's a really good sort of um, informational surface, shall I call it, to use during a discussion but this iPad 2 that I still own which I've been the proud owner of since 2011 nice little plug for Apple there from our resident Apple enthusiast yeah right well thank you for not calling me a fanboy which you did the other day (laughs) go fuck yourself I'm not a fanboy I'm actually pretty critical and I know that I'm already into my lord he doth protest too much territory at this point but I'm just going to defend myself because I think that I have the right to do that Um, but yeah I want to get a faster iPad, or at least I want a different way to access information while we're talking. Because there are a few things there, like Kursk date. Yeah. Um, you know, what actually got America into World War II, for instance. Mm-hmm. I'm not... Was it Pearl Harbor? Were they engaged before Pearl Harbor? No, from uh, from memory. And with the Germans, though, on the Western no, Front? No, I think it was uh, when Japan attacked the US at Pearl Harbor, Japan was allied to Axis. Uh, to um, to to Germany. Yeah, and, they weren't. Yeah, uh, and so Japan declaring war on America meant that Germany had. That's my memory of it. I could possibly be wrong on that, but I'm pretty confident that's that was the. Um, the only thing I'm not sure of is whether or not that started the Pacific War, um, as opposed to the entire American involvement. Um, well, I think them being. Uh, being at war now with both Japan and Germany as a result of that meant that they... Uh, Let's set. solve this. Yeah, we do. We we do have a, uh, a computer right there where we can look this shit up. There's, yeah. there's no need for us not to know this. To <laughs> the extent that anyone who bothered the listeners is still listening, you deserve this. <laughs> um, we're just fucking around on the computer trying to figure this out. So the US was unofficially, in a great many ways, involved in World War II from the very start. Um, the US became an official combatant the day after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. So there you go, mate. You're right. 
you're absolutely right. And um, that's um, something that at least I've learned. I really should have known that already. You know what's in it, talking about that sort of unofficial involvement prior to Pearl Harbor? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting thing. And there's, I, I, I don't know enough about that, but I think that'd be an interesting one to have a bit of a look into and a chat about for a future one. Because there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things uh, that we can talk about there, but yeah, that's you're talking about in terms of whether or not someone who's supplying a combatant should be fair game. Yeah, yeah, um, and also you know very specific. But I, I don't. Yeah, we, we won't get too much into that now. Yeah, man. All right. Well, let's uh, call it a day. I think we've drawn out about as uh, much useful stuff from the meta discussion as we can. We'll probably have another one off <laughs> microphone. Um, after we have the chance to listen to this ourselves, because, you know, that'll be part of it. But um, until, oh, you know, I should have said this earlier on. We're not thinking about necessarily doing these on a regular schedule. Yeah, um, just whatever we feel like. That's basically it, yeah. I, I feel like, for the most part, a Saturday morning is a good time to do it. Um, that means that uh, the Americans, or the Yanks, as we both tend to call them, will get it on their uh, Friday evening. Um and, you know, people in the Australian time zone and Asia will get it on their Saturday morning for a bit of weekend listening. That's probably a cool idea because you've got the week's news as sort of packaged in a sense, naturally packaged or delineated. Uh, but if shit happens in the middle of the week and we're already talking about it, I see no reason we shouldn't just fucking yeah. whack the microphone into the computer and have the chat on mic instead of off. Yeah. Um, for just to sort of also clue you guys in to the extent that you're bothering to listen and you're still here um, for us this is sort of just an experimental thing um, we're interested in cataloguing our thoughts as time goes on um, and we find that in of itself a worthwhile enterprise uh, so you know we do care about the feedback that we get from anyone who cares to provide it. Um, but at the same time, it's it's very much like a personal project of ours to just um, keep a bit of history in a sort of fun way, I suppose. Yeah, a snapshot of our minds. That's it, man. I, I don't think there's a better way to get a snapshot of your mind than to just talk for a period of time and record it. Yeah. The way you talk about something is super revealing of the way that you think. Um, not even necessarily what you say, but the way you say it. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think I'll switch off the mic. Yep. Cool. All right. Um, if you're still listening... <laughs> You've got to stop saying that. Your masochism is Stopped. unbelievable to me. All right. I don't know why you are. 